My father is dying. He's in the oncology ward at Toronto's Wellesley Hospital, cancer eating away at his colon, his rectum. Parts of the body people think it's funny to talk about. It's unfair having to see him like this. How am I going to remember him when he's gone? As I knew him from childhood, a temperamental giant who used to carry me on his shoulders, who used to play catch with me even though I couldn't throw for beans, who used to tuck me in and kiss me goodnight, his face like sandpaper against my cheek. I don't want to remember him like this, shrunken and old, an anorexic mummy with roomy eyes and varicose face, tubes in his arms, tubes up his nose, drool staining his pillow. Dad? Brandon. He coughs twice. Sometimes he coughs more, but it is always an even number. They rack his body in pairs, these coughs, like one-two punches from a wildly heavyweight. Brandon, he says again, as if the coughs have erased the earlier uttering of my name. I wait for the words that always come next. Long time no see. It's a little play we put on. My line is always the same, too. I'm sorry. But I'm like an actor who's been in the same part too long. I say it without feeling, without meaning. I've been busy. He's been watching TV again. That 40-centimeter Sony mounted high on the hospital wall is a kind of time machine for him. Thanks to Channel 29 from Buffalo, which specializes in golden oldies, he gets to peek into the past. Sometimes he reaches back a full six decades for an I Love Lucy episode, flawlessly colorized and reprocessed in stereo. This afternoon, he is casting back a mere twenty years for a rerun of Roseanne. Rosie and Dan are standing in the kitchen talking about the latest trouble their daughter Darlene has gotten into. I'm used to the crispness of my flat panel wall TV. This ancient set has ghosting and blurry edges. I pick up the remote from the table beside the bed. Click, and the Connors and their little neat world collapse into a singularity in the center of the screen. The dot lingers, a faint reminder of the former life, hanging on longer than it should. I turn to my father. How are you feeling? I ask. The same. It's always the same. I put the remote down next to the crystal vase. The flowers I'd brought last time have withered. The once bright petals have turned the color of dried blood, and the water looks like weak tea. I take hold of the stems, and, dripping on the stippled tile, carry the dead things over to the garbage pail and drop them in. I'm sorry I didn't bring fresh ones. I come back and sit beside him. The chair has a chrome-plated frame and vinyl cushions that smell like warm vomit. He looks old, older than anyone I've ever seen. He used to have a full head of hair, even in his early seventies. But he's completely bald now. Chemotherapy has taken its toll. Why don't you ever bring Tess with you? He asks. I look out the window. Toronto in February is a gray city, like a photograph printed in half-tones. The last of the snow, old and dirty, has been eroded by the first spring rains, forming hoodoos at the sides of the roads. Wellesley Street is streaked with white salt stains. It's three in the afternoon and hookers are already at the intersections, 
wearing heavy fur coats and fishnet stockings. Tess and I aren't married anymore, I remind him. I always liked Tess. Me too. Dad, I'm going away for a few days. He doesn't say anything. I'm not sure when I'll be back. Where are you going? Alberta, the Red Deer River Valley. That's a long way away. Yes, a long way. Another dig? Not so much a dig this time, Dad, but it is a dinosaur hunt. It may take a couple of weeks. After a long, long time, he says softly, I see. I'm sorry to have to leave you. Silence again.